0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 255. What's going on, Mark? Besides the (laughs) fact that you don't know how to work your computer.
0: Yeah, the audience is not going to know the amount of inks that we just went through to get this recording going. There's no we. Or me, I should say. That's all you. So life is good. Yeah. Yeah, The computer's working. It's a nice day outside. Yeah. All's above $80 a barrel.
1: I made it around the sun again.
0: You made it around the sun again. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. What are you, 21 now?
1: 29 for life. (laughs) 29 for life.
0: (laughs) Speaking of for life, guess what we finally got? I'm going to guess the review. The review. You want to read it?
1: Great show. Five stars. I've been listening to the show for years and really enjoy the content. Both hosts cover current events and give more context to click bait articles that are anti-energy. In addition, I really appreciate the international viewpoint they provide to explain oil and gas markets. Robert.
0: Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Robert. And if you want to be like Robert and get a big shout-out on the show, it's simple. It's so big. It's such a big (laughs) shout-out. It is a huge shout-out. You know, I hear that when we give the reviewers shout-outs, a lot of times Hollywood reaches out to them and wants to talk to them. That was the worst thing you could (laughs) ever possibly come (laughs) up with. I'm just saying, leave a review. You never know what happens. Speaking of not knowing what's happening, what's in the news this week?
1: Our first article title is, API Issues Call to Action to Biden.
0: Yeah, so this is an article about API and their current president, Mike Summers, basically laying out what API would like to work with with our current administration. And I'm being very careful how I pick my words here, both because I'm on the API Houston chapter board and also because love API to death, but sometimes I think they do stuff that just doesn't help the industry or they're too far behind times. So one of the things that's interesting to watch API change its views, so one of the first things that Summers talked about in his speech was he wants to work with Congress and our current administration about climate change. It was not that long ago, I mean literally months ago, that API said man's activity is not influencing climate change. So it's interesting to see them soften a little bit around that. The other thing is they talked about how the oil and gas industry leads to America's energy independence the amount of jobs that our oil and gas industry creates, the amount of prosperity. We create all through the country. So not just on the oil and gas industry side, but that money trickles all throughout the economy. Right. Then he also talked about how our current administration has done things that don't help our industry and they would just like to work together. So really, I think this is kind of a toned down version of usually how API talks to our when it's a Democrat elected administration versus how they talk to when it's a Republican elected administration. I sort of like this softening view a little bit. Let's keep an eye on this. We, you know, here at OGG and we've actually engaged in some deep conversations with API. I think we're going to end up somewhere in the next year or so doing some work with them and help them kind of modernize the way they message stuff. And so I see this as a positive sign. Positive sign number one that they reached out to OGGN and we're in conversations. Positive sign number two is they're softening some of their messaging, which, you know, is the right thing to do in today's political climate. If you want to get people to work with you that don't agree with you, you can't draw a line in the sand and refuse to even talk to them, which is what unfortunately API had done for years. Stubbornness. Yeah, stubbornness. So I sort of like this. Let's keep an eye and see how this thing develops. Okay.
1: Next one is TC Energy Corp targets military site for new project
0: page, you find the coolest articles, right? (laughs) So, you know, TC Energy, you know who that is. That's who owns Keystone Pipeline. May it rest in peace. I'm sorry to say that. I really am. I want that pipeline so bad, but it's done. What should have been an infrastructure project became a-
1: It was killed a year ago,
0: in fact. Years ago, really, if you look at it. It became a political nightmare, and it's just a mess. But let me tell you what's cool about this. So, they talk about building a thousand megawatt pumped energy storage project. Do you know what that is? No. This is the coolest thing in the world. So- One of the holy grails in the renewable space is how do you store the excess energy? When the sun's shining, when the wind's blowing, you generate more electricity than you can use, and you put it on the grid, and it gets wasted. Actually, it never gets generated because there's no way to storage. Yes, audience, you could use batteries like lithium-ion batteries, but they're cost-prohibitive. I mean, just ridiculously cost-prohibitive. And so somebody years ago figured out a very simple way to store energy, the kinetic and potential energy, without using batteries. So what they do... In this pumped energy storage project, is when electricity is free when the sun and the wind are generate more electricity. They can use they use that free electricity to pump water up. Think of on top of a mountain on a lake. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they use that energy to move that water up to the top of the mountain, or in this case, it's actually a holding tank. And then when energy when the solar and wind die down or the demand's bigger. They drop that water through a turbine, just like a hydroelectric dam, to okay. generate electricity. So they're using physics to store the energy. Isn't that, isn't that great? It's very simple solution, right? That involves flowing water and gravity. is all it takes, right? And so this is what they're doing. And I think this is awesome. And they're actually working with the Canadian Department of National Defense to build it on one of their big military training grounds. Now, the other reason I think this is cool is now the Canadian militaries get exposure to a construction and to a process that is replicatable, right? So these guys are getting out of the Canadian Armed Forces. If they work on this pumped energy storage project, can go out and do other pumped energy storage projects around the world. I just think this is an awesome idea. You know, this is showing how you can take old technology, think out of a box, apply it, to a new problem and solve stuff without having to destroy the environment, right? Mining lithium is horrible for the environment. So I just think this is awesome. So we're going to keep an eye on this. And by the way, if anybody with TC Energy is listening to us, I'd love to have you on one of our podcasts to talk about this because this is the oil gas industry needs to understand what you're doing. And I'd love to help you get your word out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the next one, we're going to get a little political here there's a lot of stuff happening in russia so russia's natural gas threat is far from subtle
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so to put it that's that's how we're starting this that's to put it mildly so russia's basically using the natural gas supply to russia as a weapon and there's no gray area here. They're cutting back on deliveries. They actually caused a window of no sales, which means nobody in Europe for a week can buy any natural gas. Wow. Yeah. And so the reason they're doing this is they're literally using it as a weapon. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. One of the things I want to make sure that people understand is that Europe is entering into its winter, and Europe is entering into its winter. At a time when their gas supplies are extremely low, the only place they really can get gas reliably from is from Russia. And we're going to talk about all the different pieces of this in the next article soon. However, the U.S. also could supply Europe with natural gas through LNG. We have the ability. We have the gas. We have the process. We have the tools. We know how to do it. And we can actually do it slightly cheaper than what Europe is currently playing for Russian gas. The problem, politicians. Politicians. Not Russian politicians. They don't care. It's Europe politicians and American politicians keeping this LNG's infrastructure from being built and implemented. Yeah, so no, that makes the, sense. The politicians are allowing Russia to keep this chokehold. Now, Russia could care less about the U.S. They realize that our politicians aren't going to allow us to compete on the free market. If our current administration would change their attitude toward elegy and exports toward Europe. And if Europe politicians would change their attitude about LG imports, all of a sudden Russia would be worried about us. They're not worried about us all. They're worried about China. Now, the other thing is we we'll gonna get to this a little bit later is what's going on in Germany. And this is all kind of tied together with the Ukraine and everything else. But, you know, this is a great article showing how, you know, as the winter's coming closer, Russia understands that Europe absolutely has to have the gas or so the people will, will freeze to death. And they're going up on price, and they're limiting supply to keep control over this. They are 100% using their natural gas supply to Europe as a weapon. And I've said this for years. The U.S. could easily help loosen that stranglehold if not get rid of it.
1: Well, wasn't it the Obama administration that was like, okay, yeah, let's export
0: now? Yeah, so that's a different thing. So up until the Obama administration, during the late 70s, we placed that export ban on all crude and, okay. and natural gas products. And they did that during the oil embargo of the 70s, trying to keep... The thinking was that the oil and gas companies back then were selling crude overseas that could stay in the U.S. that would lower gas prices at the moment. Uh, okay. It's not true. But that's why the law was passed. Okay. And up until the Obama administration, that law had stayed there. So the U.S. was never a global player because it was illegal for us to export our own crude. Right. When all the unconventional started, all the fracking plays started, we had all this abundance of crude and natural gas. The Obama administration, rightly so, said, hey, we need to export this so we can be a global player. Now, the thing that scares me, Paige, mm-hmm. is that our current administration right now is talking about revoking that, the export. So they're talking about reinstating the ban on exporting hydrocarbons. That is going to destroy our ability to compete globally. We're not there yet. We're not talking about during this show, but it's, it's in my realm of possibilities politically, and it scares the living bejeebus out of me. But Back to this Russia using natural gas as a weapon. If our politicians would let us export and if European politicians would help with the import process of LNG, Russia could just be pushed out of the picture. But they know it won't happen. So, you know, fingers crossed for, for everybody in Europe. Because I read something just the other day that if the winter is one degree colder than anticipated, parts of Europe will literally run out of natural gas to heat homes. People That have is no heat. so Scares them. Yeah. scary. Not in 2022. That sounds like something in the 1700s.
1: Right? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So the next article is geopolitical risks to watch this winter.
0: Guess what the number one one is? What? Russia. (laughs) We just talked about that. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff going on around the world that we need to keep our eye on. You've heard me talk a lot about Ukraine and Russia, how it's not getting any news coverage. Russia has massive amounts of troops lined up on the border. This is not some military exercise. And if you look at what they have massed aligned on the border, you can tell they're planning to invade Ukraine. I'm not saying they will. But they have all the tanks that need to break through the walls. They had mountains and mountains of armored personnel carriers. They have howitzers, a lot of field artillery. You can tell this is not an exercise. Right. Yeah, and yeah. Ukraine, as spunky as you know, people are in Ukraine, as much as they're going to fight back, they don't have a chance. Yeah. They, they literally don't have a chance. Now, the U.S. is posturing about if Russia does something, we're going to step in. I don't believe our current administration will.
1: No, I don't think so either.
0: And I think the Russians know that. Right, And so if Russia invades Ukraine, what it should turn out to be is the very beginning of an all-out, I don't want to say war, but all-out military action against Russia. What I think's going to happen is U.S. and Europe, quite honestly, to look the other way. You know why Europe's going to look the other way? They need gas. Yeah. You know why the U.S. will look the other way? Because they don't want to piss off Russia, right? And so it's just bad politics. And we, we,
1: What is the United States anymore?
0: You know, I don't want to get, ugh, yeah, I could easily go down there. And then we have Kazakhstan, okay? <laughs> so what's going on there, which by the way, I've actually met the Minister of Natural Resources there. It's a long story. But what's happened over there is fuel prices have gotten so high that there are anti-government riots going on. And then guess what? Russian troops moved in to help quash the riots. Right? Mm. So now Russia has troops in Konstantin's soil. And the Russians jumped in unbelievably quickly, which tells me they were planning for this. Oh, yeah. Which would not... Rule out of the realm of possibilities that maybe they helped start the riots to begin with, right? And Putin's not a fool. Not at all. No. He's super smart guy. And plus, he plays judo, so sort of like that. And then we have what's going on in Libya. So, you know, the presidential elections were postponed. You know, we have a lot of social unrest going on there. You know, that country's been destroyed by war. and It looks like the war could actually pick back up again. And then we have Saudi Aramco. If you remember back in 2019, end of 2019, there was a drone attack on one of Ramco's refineries, and that caused the price of crude to go up 15% in one day Gaw. because of the perception right, of, of what's going on. Oh, wow. And so the Saudis have already asked the U.S. for more Patriot missiles to defend their refineries. Normally, you don't put Patriot missiles around a refinery, right? Yeah. Normally, you put Patriot missiles around assets of war. Mm-hmm. So when you look at all this stuff that's going on in the world together right now, I'm telling you, Paige, I would not be surprised if any one of these things gets triggered. I could see oil hit $100 a barrel, which we don't need. And if you don't understand why we don't need that is what's going to happen when oil gets that high, regardless of what our politicians are doing here in the US, the, all the independent operators will start producing, and we're going to flood the market. And where the demand still not back like it was pre-COVID. And we're gonna have, you know, negative prices or ten dollar barrel price again, which we don't need. We're in a really good place right now, price wise. But with all this instability geopolitically around the world, all it takes is one of these incidents to be kicked off and you're gonna see all spiked 100 dollars a barrel. So fingers crossed that everybody on everything I just mentioned, you know, Russia, Kazakhstan, Libya, sorry, here, everybody keeps a cool head and things get started off in the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Well, next article Senate votes against Nord Stream sanctions.
0: Okay. So Gazprom, which is one of Russia's nationalized oil company, is building this pipeline project to further deliver natural gas deeper inside of Europe. They're basically tightening their chokehold on the European gas. Oh pipeline. yeah. Okay. So, but the pipeline's going through Germany, and Germany wants this project to happen because it allows them to have cheap. Natural gas, right? In Russia. Yeah, makes okay. sense. And let's not talk about Germany's interwind program that failed. All, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know I'm gonna get crap already right about that. But anyway, so what's going on is that right now between what Russia's doing in the Ukraine and some of the other stuff, the U.S. is saying we're going to put sanctions against this project, the Nord Stream project, to help influence Russia. Well, let me tell you a couple things. Russia could care less about any of our sanctions. They don't really affect them, and the sanctions that this administration would use are gentle. They're baby sanctions, right? Oh, sweet. The reason they're doing that is that they're trying to make sure that our current administration is saying that they want to make sure they can negotiate with Russia in the future. And so they don't want to go real hard on sanctions right now. That's the wrong approach. They need the opposite approach. They need to come down so hard on this that this pipeline project can't move an inch without us soliciting the sanctions. Then that will bring Russia to the negotiating table because now they see us as somebody that they have to deal with. Right now is they don't care about U.S. They don't care about our relationships with Russia, our relationship with Europe, our relationship with Germany. And then Germany has done this thing, which I can't believe they freaking did this, is they've said publicly, their current administration over there, that the Nord Stream project is entirely a separate issue from what's going on in Ukraine. So even if Russia invades Ukraine, Germany's saying, well, that doesn't matter. We'll still let this project go through. So Germany is anticipating Russia invading Ukraine, anticipating the political backlash, but they want this gas pipeline so bad, they're already saying now that those are two separate issues. And they're not two separate issues. You know, this Nord Stream project needs to be connected to all the geopolitical stuff that's going on to fund this project. So, you know, and the other thing is, listen to this. So this article is actually about the sanctions. Let me tell you what our Senate just did. So our Senate just voted 55 to 44 against the proposal for new sanctions. So everything I just rattled off, they our Senate said, we're not going to even do the baby sanctions. We're going to do no sanctions. So wow. um, this is just going to deepen the Europe's dependence on Russian gas. It's going to increase Moscow's ability to use gas as a weapon. And they're basically blackmailing the world, or at least Europe.
1: Well, and the best quote in this entire article is from Senator Ted Cruz. Russia has nakedly and unequivocally used energy as energy blackmail.
0: Yep. And then I like the best part. And Russian President Putin has done this openly, brazenly, and laughingly. Mm -hmm. laughing at us he doesn't give a shit yeah well it's money and it's prosperity for russians and for their industry and of course if i was in their shoes i would absolutely be looking at who buys my products and trying to lock that down which is what they're doing so i see the business sense in this from russia but from a u.s geopolitical point of view this should not be allowed to happen we need to come down harder than sanctions and for our current administration to say we're not gonna even do the baby sanctions yeah next one
1: all right (laughs) Oh, it only gets better is all. China buying hundreds of millions of barrels of sanctioned oil.
0: Oh, let's see. Where to start this? So first thing, they're buying oil from Iran and Venezuela, which they shouldn't be doing because the world has decided they should not allow them to bring their oil to market because of how they treat their people, their civil rights violations. Right. So yeah, so yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. China's buying it. Honestly, China doesn't care. And there's a reason I can get into that a lot of Europeans and Americans don't understand. China's culture is basically different than ours on its foundation. So whether you believe in a higher power or not, if you're European or American, you've been exposed to Christianity, Islam, Judaism, something, right? And so you've been exposed to right and wrong, heaven and hell. Whether you believe it or not, you've been exposed to it. All right. China doesn't have that Christianity fundamental foundation. It's a Buddhist foundation. Mm -hmm. They believe in reincarnation. Right. right? And please don't hate me. I know there's a million different religions, including Christianity and Islam in China, right? But for the most part, so their population doesn't believe in a right and wrong. If they steal your intellectual property, they think it's your fault for letting them steal it, right? In China-
1: Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because they
0: don't believe there's a right and wrong.
1: Oh, that explains why you can't take photographs at OTC anymore. 100%, right? Uh Right, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And- the other thing, like in China, if you hit somebody with your car, you're legally responsible for their medical bills. So what you'll see happen is you'll see an old woman hit somebody and then run over them 10 times to kill them. She sees nothing wrong with that because it's cheaper for her to pay for a funeral than to pay for the medical bills. It's a fundamentally different foundational way they think, all right? Well, so yeah. Chi- don't
1: they have a social credit score?
0: Well, that's where you're getting a, Okay. 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 Yeah, we'll be on, on <laughs> for hours. So China's buying illegal oil. They see nothing wrong with it. Now, here's where it gets really bad. When you buy illegal oil, you got to ship it. Do you think you can ship it in a legal super tanker? No. No. You're shipping an illegal super tanker. Well, what the frick is an illegal super tanker? It's a super tanker that's been decommissioned, that's been sold for scrap, that somebody puts back in the water. (gasps) Yep, you see where this is going. No way. 100% yes way. And so now you got rusty, leaking boats that aren't sound, that are dangerous, hauling illegal oil to China from Venezuela and Iran. Now, Because our current administration has come down tough on Iran and Venezuela, not Russia, but Iran and Venezuela, it makes the price of this oil – more expensive than it was, but much cheaper than buying it regularly on the black market. So you're going to have this surge of trying to continue to buy this black market oil, and shipping it in black market super tankers. I don't know if that's a word. If anybody in Maritime, tell me what it is that a super tanker has been decommissioned, but they stick it back in the water. And then they lie. So the super tankers, almost all of those big cargo ships carry multiple transponders that basically announce who they are. What flag they're under, which so which country is running the boat, that sort of stuff. The Chinese change that, so even if one of these derelict super tankers have trouble, the people that are out there around the world to go out and send rescuers may not know who owns the ship or where it is or if it's the right ship. So this is just a recipe for disaster that's being driven by greed. And then, like I said, China sees nothing wrong with it. So if we want to put a start- I, I,
1: everything's wrong with, like literally every single yeah. thing is wrong with it. <laughs> Everything is wrong with this. There's not a right th- single thing in nope, that.
0: But it goes on. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. Speaking of crazy, let's talk diesel. (laughs) You don't want to talk diesel? You're (laughs)
1: ridiculous. All right, diesel markets are soaring.
0: Yeah, so basically the world's run out of diesel. Yes, I know it's still around, but the cost of it's going through the roof, it's kind of good in some ways. Diesel is one of the indicators I watch to see what I think our economy is going to do. And so when the demand for diesel goes up, that tells me the demand for construction is going up around the world, the demand for transportation, stuff like that. Yeah. And so our diesel prices here—not that I drive a diesel vehicle—but they're the highest they've been since like 2012, 2013, and the prices continue tend to grow here and in the U.S. Then we're entering into turnaround season for U.S. refiners. That's basically when they take units of the refineries down to do planned maintenance repair. That always decreases supply of diesel, which is going to increase the cost. Then travel's picked up a lot. Yeah. Not so much business travel, but leisure travel. So a refinery has a choice between making diesel and jet fuel. Well, if they're getting more dollars for the jet fuel, they're going to make jet fuel, which is also decreasing the supply of diesel. So if you have 100 million gallons of diesel stored somewhere, you're sitting on a fortune, right? Storing (laughs) it for a little bit longer. Diesel will continue to go up here and in Europe. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel until maybe 2023, 2024. Oh, wow. Yeah. So just like everything else, the cost has went up and it's going to stay there for a long time. And one of the reasons to stay that expensive is, once again, politics. It's ridiculous. But it's what's happened in the world. So you know, good for the people that are making money off diesel, not so good for the people that need to buy diesel.
1: All right. So next article, France turns to coal as nuclear plant shuts down threatened power grid. <sighs> you can't make this stuff up. I saw this and I was like,
0: oh, man, he's going to love this. So <laughs> in France's quest to go green for the environment – It seems that they don't have enough electricity now to get their people through the winter. (laughs) The only fix is to increase the amount of electricity produced by cold-fired power plants. And when I think of all the ways to generate electricity, because I know France, you're not running clean coal technology, you're running old coal technology. Mm -hmm. That is the worst polluting technologies there. So, citizens of France, politicians of France, congratulations. By trying to green the environment, by trying to green what you're doing, you have now increased your negative impact to the environment. You are dirtier to the environment in 2022 than you were in 2021. Congratulations, you moved the needle backwards, right? May I suggest, France, (laughs) that you look into natural gas-fired electricity and we can send it to you. Right? We can send you LNG that you can offload so you can skip Germany, skip Nord Stream, skip Russia, all that, and have clean, reliable, abundant energy for your people. They're the California of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> They're the California of Europe. That's a good way to put that. And like I said, anybody in the French government that needs some help understanding how this works, reach out to me. I'd be happy to sit down, happy to draw it out on a whiteboard. But basically, France is having to produce electricity from coal-fired electrical generation plants, which is horrible for the environment, in their process of trying to go green. All right,
1: next article, explainer. What is at stake for the U.S. biofuel blending law in 2022 and beyond? I know this is one of your favorite subjects. The renewable
0: fuel standards, one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> you know, when I'm at parties, when I talk about this, it's amazing the number of people, just their eyes just glaze over. I don't know why. So nobody invites you to anything
1: <laughs> now? <laughs>
0: Actually, since you said that, I don't think the last party I think I went to was in 1990s. No, yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, I'm kind of passionate around this. So, basically, back in the 70s during the Arab oil embargo, our government, rightly so, looked at different ways to generate fuel because we didn't want to have dependence on foreign nations which control our politics and our economy. makes total sense. One of the things they came up with was the Renewable Fuel Standard, which basically says we give tax incentives to produce biofuels, and then we're going to tell the oil and gas companies that they have to mix these biofuels with their fuel by law, Okay. On the surface, it sounds awesome. It's a great idea. Its execution, however, in the U.S. has been horrible. Basically, we don't have biofuels. We have one. We have ethanol. Yes, I know there's biodiesel out there made from French fry oil. That doesn't really count. Such a small percentage, it doesn't even make a difference, right? But the ethanol thing is interesting. So what happens basically is farmers are incited, basically in the middle of the country, to grow corn, which you then need to malt, ferment, and distill to make ethanol. Now, they're doing this to make money because the government's paying them. The government's basically subsidized them. And But all that ethanol is made in the middle of the country. To use that ethanol in a vehicle, you need a vehicle that's labeled E85. All of y'all have probably seen cars and trucks labeled E85. But if you look at, at the map of where all the E85 vehicles are sold, they're sold on the East and West Coast for political reasons, right? Just buying the E85 vehicle makes no difference to the environment unless you run E85 fuel. However, you can't hardly get E85 fuel on the east and west coast since it's all made in the middle of the country. Right, So it's a broken system. And to make it even more broken, since the refineries are required to blend ethanol in their final fuel product, there's a renewable fuel standard. It's basically a credit. People have learned how to game the systems, and there's this underground, almost black market economy Based upon blending ethanol with fuel and sell at the gas pump. So what happened, Paige, if what's supposed to happen is this is supposed to encourage refiners to take ethanol, which is basically a competing product to what they're making gasoline, and blend it to try to help the environment and to try to have a different fuel source. The reality of what goes on is you and I right now go to any terminal, we we'll go, you know, go down south to the BP refinery, we go buy a terminal truck full of gasoline from BP. They'll sell it to us, fill up a diesel truck. We get a couple hundred gallons of ethanol, which we can also buy. We dump that in the tanker truck right then and there. We immediately just generate renewable fuel credits by mixing the ethanol in the gasoline. We then take that ethanol-gasoline mix and sell it at our cost, so break even to some local gas station who will happily buy it. We take these same renewable fuel credits and go sell it to the same refinery we just bought the gasoline from at a markup of 100 to 1,000%. So it's helping nobody, and it's actually hurting the price at the pump. So this thing needs to go away, and it has it. Our last administration pulled us out of it, so reduced the requirements, which is the right thing to do. And Our current administration, you would think, would go back to the pre-era where they would increase the requirement fuel standards. But I don't think they're going to do it, Page. And the reason I don't think they're going to do it is right now our current administration's approval rating is the worst I've seen. Of <laughs> anybody. And guess what people think of in the U.S. of their politicians, regardless if it's on the right side or left side or in the middle. When the price of the pump keeps going up, they hate them. They They blame the politicians, right? Regardless of what political side you're on. Well, it's because it's their fault. Well, in this case, it's 100% their fault, right? So I actually don't think that the Biden administration is going to reinstate the old renewable fuel credit system or up the amount of ethanol that needs to be blended gasoline. Their party wants them to do it for green reasons, but I think for political reasons, they're not going to do it. So I actually think – this thing's could go the right way for the wrong reasons, but I still think it's going to go the right way. This thing was created, the renewable fuel standards were created, I think, in 2005. It's administered by the EPA. It just needs to go away. It just absolutely goes away. And for all the people out there that are making money on ethanol, I love the fact that you're doing it, but it, you need to be able to compete in the free market, not with government subsidies.
1: All right. So last article, and this is a follow-up from when we covered it back in October. Amplify Energy Indicted for Causing Massive Oil Spill Off the Coast of Southern California Last October.
0: So I read through this, and I actually didn't believe some of it, so I fact-checked it. And unfortunately, it seems that the information in this article is correct. So it seems that the company ignored eight different alarms over a 13-hour period that a pipeline was leaking.
1: Yeah, so if that's not functioning properly, obviously what you need to do is shut
0: in, right? You need to do something. I don't know what their process is. I don't know what their standard operating procedure is. But I would think that if you've got eight different leak alarms in a half a day – that you'd probably want to check at some point to see if the leak was real. Or
1: call higher up, hey, what do I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This keeps happening. And so
0: what Amplify said is their leak detection system was not functioning properly. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be true. (laughs) It seems their leak detection system was functionally totally fine.
1: Yeah, that's what it seems to me.
0: And then the other thing is how were the people were trained. The investigation showed that the rig was understaffed and that they were also overworked. But also they showed that the people in the control room at Amplify were understaffed. So I think this is-
1: Is that due to COVID?
0: I don't know. That probably is right. I don't want to say that because it's not an article and I didn't read that, but that probably is probably why they were understaffed in the control room. So, if everything is correct, I lo- it looks like Amplify does have some culpability in not at least not responding to the alarms in a timely fashion. Now, where this things could go, I'm sure it could be multiple trials over a series of years. The only well, and,
1: are- it's, and I really feel like it's against their two subsidiaries Beta Offshore and then the company and then a San Pedro Bay pipeline. So.
0: Yeah, so it's two of the subsidiaries. But but like I was saying, the end result of this is the lawyers are going to make a lot of money. Amplify will will, will, will walk out of this paying a fine. But hopefully Amplify learned a lesson. It bothers me when I see oil and gas companies fail to do the right thing in the right moment. Stuff happens in our industry. Stuff happens a lot in industry. And it happens in all industries, right? We have leaks. We have spills just like other industries do. But as long as we're trying to do the right thing, I support everything that goes on. It's when companies trying to save a penny – Somewhere, and I don't know this is what happened, and, and they don't do the right thing. And when they don't do the right thing, they deserve to have fines and penalties against them. So we'll keep an eye on this, but looking at what's going on, it looks like to me that they have some culpability in this.
1: Yeah, yeah. But luckily, local authorities have declared that the cleanup and efforts are complete.
0: So. Yeah, well, that's one thing as an industry we do. We, yeah. We're a bunch of engineers, and we can engineer a cleanup thing just like we can engineer <laughs> anything else. yeah. All right. Free day passes. You heard this a million times. You're in Houston. Go to the canon, mention OGG at the front desk. They'll give you a free day pass just to hang out, work for free. We'll also be there next week. Thursday is our first industry mixer of the year.
1: Yeah. I think we're all on a panel, aren't we?
0: Thursday 27th. Just hit any of our socials if you want to sign up. Yeah. So what we're doing, which is a bit different, is we're having a panel of us. Yeah. We have OGG and host there. We're going to have a quick panel discussion about what we think is going to happen in the oil and gas industry in 2022. Food, drinks, networking, and as always, your participation helps us fund the fight against human sex trafficking. So come join us next week. If you come, come find me. I'll probably be in a black shirt and jeans. Not that I wear. Yeah, that no, that's literally <laughs> all you ever. <laughs> and come wear. introduce yourself. Rate count. Where are we?
1: We are United States is at six oh one, so we're up thirteen. Then Canada is up fifty at one ninety one. Awesome, right? internationally we're up 17 at
0: 834 love those numbers then go to linkedin just find ogg and sign up for stuff we got so much new stuff coming out this year that we can't talk about yet but i'm telling you it's gonna be a one heck of a year for y'all and for us all the good stuff and then first friday q a you know the deal if you want us to read your question on the air you'll get all a big Gas- shout out <laughs> go to allgas oggg.com is a place where you can ask your question we don't read all the questions since we learned that from our last First Friday Q&A. For real. For real. <laughs> so if you're shopping for a husband, we're probably not the best place. Or a wife, We may not be mattered. the worst place either, though. Right. I don't but anyway, know about But those know questions that. aren't going to be read anymore. And then if you notice, we didn't give any way from IBM. You know why, Paige? We're not giving anybody anything. Because nobody answers us. Like, That's what fine. What do you want us to give you? Paige, Jason, and I are going to find something. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I'll talk to Jace. Yeah, And then we got the Women Offshore Benefit Gala on February 5th at the Petroleum Club of Houston. I will be there in a really sequiny dress.
0: (laughs) It's worth the money just to see Paige in a really sequiny dress, I'm telling you. (laughs) I think you're a little biased. (laughs) Nah, maybe a little bit. All right. Wait, before we get out of here. New year, this is the time of year where you're kicking off meetings for your sales teams, your marketing teams. If you'd like myself or any of our experts to come speak at your event, if you'd like to spring a live podcast, which is always a hit, reach out to me. Happy to share the details. All right. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work. Pay it forward. And we will see you next time. See you later. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.